Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. And special guest, Michael Verity. Michael is an odds compiler for an online gambling firm. Uh, And we've got Michael on today basically to talk us through the weird and wonderful world of gambling and how it all works in terms of how you price players and when players are playing well, what you give them. And it's just going to be a fascinating deep dive, I think, for the next 30 to 40 minutes on on how it all works. So, Michael, introduce yourself. How are you? Yeah, all good, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I've I've worked in the in the gamb- or the golf gambling business for... Uh, so I started in 2008, so it's you know, a long time now, 13 years. Um, I was, I'm originally from Doncaster, um, you'd never tell. You'd, you'd, no. never, you'd never tell that at all, Michael. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, growing up, uh, I wasn't sort of too mad into golf, to be honest. It was more sort of football and cricket at an early age, but I sort of got into it around um, sort of 99, 2000 when I, I joined the club. Um, and, yeah, just I, I fell in love with it straight away and, and it's been sort of a massive part of my life ever since, so. Um, when sort of my two passions sort of combined to get a job in in gambling, doing doing the golf odds, then you know it was one of those things where I was like, I've got to take this, really and uh, and yeah, I moved to, I moved to London in two thousand eight, and I've I've been doing it ever since. How do you fall into that? Just out of interest, how do you fall into? It's one of those jobs where you kind of bump into someone or you stand on the first tee, and it's like, oh, I'm an odds compiler for a ga- in the gambling industry. It's like, right, you're now going to get a million questions from me. Mm-hmm. For the entire yeah. round, how do you? Yeah, I do have a lot like of chats. That? To be fair, um, <laughs> it was basically a, it was like an entry level position for a firm in, in Wimbledon, and that I saw in the Racing Post on, on a one Saturday back in. So yeah, it would be early two thousand eight, and I just thought I'm going to have to go for this. So I did. I mean, at that stage, I was sort of I didn't I didn't even know if I really wanted to move to London, but when I went down and I heard all about what the the job would entail. I thought oh, I'm going to have to take this, so I did. And 13 years later, I'm I'm still down here. Unbelievable. I think it's probably worth you know for for the lay person that's listening to this pod that maybe doesn't gamble loads, doesn't understand how the industry works, and I put myself in that in that category. Just talk us through your specific role. How does it actually work? What do you do? What's like a you know what's a week in the life of Michael Michael Verity? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically my job is just to to lead the golf product for for an online firm and and that basically uh, from a week to week perspective that will look like um so monday is usually getting the fields for the upcoming tournament so all the main tours we cover would be PGA European LPGA Champions Tour even Corn Ferry Tour now that that's become quite popular and it's just a case of uh, monday early in the week you just you, you're trying to assess all the players um, you're trying to put them in some sort of order of, of percentage chance of winning that event, and, and then sort of once you're at a you know at a stage where you've got everyone in the right sort of order, you, that, that's that sort of that tournament set for the week, and then you'll base all your sort of uh, derived markets from that. So like your top five finish, top ten, top twenty, who will lead after the first round? You know, three balls, um, 
all market top top international markets like who's going to be the top English player in an event um, and so yeah f- from Monday to the start of the tournament on a on a Thursday morning it's just a case of getting all the, the markets up online so that your customers can can place bets on them and then our firm and, and every every sort of online firm now is is massive on the in play as well so that will be a case of as soon as the first ball struck changing all the prices for the players as the tournament's playing out as well right up until so with so with that i mean this is the million dollar question michael how how do you how on earth do you go about ranking 120 odd people into from the corn ferry tour you know on a very specific golf course in very specific conditions in a in a odd part of america how (laughs) do you go about doing that what 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 variables are there? What, what do you go about? Well, I guess I mean, pers- personally, and 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 to be fair, it's it's sort of changed how how people approach how, how compiling is is approached nowadays. Like I mean, 10, 12 years ago, it would basically there was there was nowhere near as much data and info as there is now. So, just for an example, for a corn ferry tour event, you'd just literally be, and it, and it would be very. It'd, it'd be very time-consuming as well. You'd be trying to literally find out what each player in the field's been doing recently, and whether they've got any form on the course. And then you just sort of, you, I mean, obviously your margin for error back then was was a lot bigger as well. So you'd, you'd be getting more players wrong as well. Um, and then yeah, it's just a case of of getting them in some sort of order. I mean, Corn Ferry Tour nowadays is. is is there's some really good players. There's a lot of old PGA players playing on there and, and there's a lot of good like youngsters who there's, there's plenty of information on. So the actual information is a lot easier to get now and, and from that you can you can easily sort of put it into order looking at players scoring averages and, and things like that. And it's you know it's it's a it's more straightforward than, than you would think. But it really? I mean it is still it is still tricky if you get a player who you've who may be um, doesn't have much data. He's not played in many events before, mm. and you're just sort of a bit finger in the air of, of to what price you think he should mm. be on that given week. And do you does that change? I mean, let's let's move away from corn free, but let's just think about you know PGA Tour, for instance, a, a tour that we all understand and know. Um, does it change course to course and state to state? Are you looking like this player likes Florida, this player likes the wind? Does that all that stuff come into it? Yeah, I mean it. Personally, I think it comes into it probably too much. Um, I, I it'll be overbaked into the price, whereas I still think that like the, the quality of a player is is the number one driver to his chance. Mm. Um, now, if somebody's had four top fives on a course, and um, and he's going back there the next year, then without doubt, punters are going to be looking at that, and they're going to be thinking, I've, "I'm going to I'm going to back this player because he, he's clear he clearly loves the course." So as a compiler, you straight away have to think, you have to bear in mind that you're probably going to see money on that player if you were to price him without bearing that course form in, in mind. So mm. to sort of preempt that, you would you would be sort of shortening the player up to go. Mm. So say he's normally 100 to 1 chance. If he's got really good course form, you might soon be 66 or 50 to 1. Because mm. so you, you sort of lay it anyway. Yeah, you manage, it that, you manage it that way because you know that people are still going to be interested in them. But you've already sort of factored that in to shorten the price, so you're happy to take the the money at, at at that price, even though they've got really, you know, sound course form. It's incredible, isn't it? And I, I mean, I'm assuming a couple of things here, but you know, kind of want your take. 
things like the shot link era that we're in now and the, the availability of on-course data and on-course performance, I, I'm, I, it's on everything in the PGA, but I'm guessing it stretches right through the LPGA, pretty much every event there and Corn Ferry and some of the other feeder tours, obviously things like European tour as well. But, you know, that data has presumably changed the market massively. Presumably yeah. there's a lot more transparency there. But also I'm guessing you guys are using statistical modeling as well. So yeah. that kind of act as like the, is that like the lead indicator that you guys would use typically, or is it, is it kind of Michael's opinion and own view on the world and then the date and then the data kind of finesses it and the models sort of polish your work, which way around does it work? I think you, yeah, I think you're probably right now. Most firms are using some sort of statistical predictive modeling where they're sort of, you know, that they'll be feeding into it the, the factors that they think are important and then it'll be sort of become a great starting point for the, for the price of the player that week. Um, and then I guess it's just on, on a typical week, you'll still want to sort of manually adjust the, the, the prices of players who you, who you think are maybe the model's underestimating or, or things like that. But I think, yeah, most people now in, in sort of, the, you know, the, the high-profile leagues in sports betting, not just golf, are using some sort of, predictive modeling to, to help them with their price, at least give them a really good starting point. And shot, shot links changed the game, has it, in this in this industry? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the strokes gain data is very solid. You know, obviously you've got, you've got a great benchmark straight away. Um, so I think, I think strokes gain is really handy because it, it sort of really highlights how strong the PGA tour is really. And, you know, often in the past I think like players finishing positions in Europe what you would often see is if a player is playing well in Europe they would go and play in the States and they'd be overvalued because people are just comparing finishing positions as if there isn't a gulf in quality well <laughs> shot you know strokes gain data has shown us that there is so it's sort of exposed that a bit how does that work because I, I was under the impression that strokes gained data was all to the field do you know what I mean? Yeah. To the average of a field. So how do you compare the fields between the European Tour and the... And I mean, the, again, that's yeah. just basically based over loads of numbers over the years. And then it's using players that might play a bit in the PGA and a bit in Europe. And you would soon start to see that there's actually a, there's actually a difference. Even though strokes gained on the European Tour is, like you say, comparing to that field average. Once these players, say a player plays 10 or 15 times on both sides of the pond in a year you can soon start to see that mm. he's he plays at this sort of level in Europe, but then when he goes to America, it drops down mm. a bit because of, and that's to, you know, that's a function of the, of the field strength over there. Have you got, is there anyone that sticks in your head on that sort of European tour where you think, yeah, they go to the States and then money piles onto them. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I get even just like a, a high profile case, like Tommy Fleetwood, um, you know, he's, when he, when he plays in Europe, he's like a, a 10, 11 to 1 favourite. And then if he plays in America, he's, he's used, I mean, it's obviously hard to just take a, a you know, a direct comparison, but he'd be a much bigger price in a, in a PGA. In a standard PGA field, he'd be a much bigger price than he is in a standard European field. And then just players like recently, like, I mean, obviously like Robert McIntyre is a really promising up-and-coming player. But again, like when he goes to play, in American events, you you do start to see that like it just feels like he's over he's overvalued by the by the market. So so punters will probably want to bet him on the back of his European form, not kind of taking into account that it's going to be a much stiffer test in the PGA. I put myself in there. So um, 
I'll put myself in that camp. So he obviously <laughs> had a, he's like, he's enjoyed a good little spell out in the States and, you know, a couple of missed cuts and some difficult weeks and then got into the match play. And funny enough, I actually had him before the event at 90 to one, um, just felt like something like match play was going to work well. And he had a really good week there. Yeah. But like you say, on the whole, when you sort of smooth it out and generalize, you do get the feeling there is a step up when it comes to the PGA yeah. tour. Mm. And I, I, I'm guessing that's scoring averages that are just more, they are just high. They're just lower scoring averages, more consistently across a broader spectrum of players. Yeah, and then obviously, like there's there's really good um, sites like Data Golf who actually do an adjusted adjusted strokes gain. So they take into account the the sort of the difference in the field as well. So that gives you a really good like overall number. So mm-hmm. not just what was their strokes gained for that given week, but even then applying it across the differences in tours and then they can come to a, just a one single rating, which is adjusted, which is taking everything into account and they give a really accurate sort of view on that. Mm. I suppose that works both ways as well. You know, you're talking about uh, overpricing uh, a European player that goes to the, the U S I'm looking at the OWGR here and looking at Brendan Todd, 52 in the world. You know, if he appeared in a European tour event, which I doubt he would, but if he came and, you know, I probably wouldn't look at him twice to bet on him. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, he's, he's a 50th in the world. He's, you know, doing well on the PGA. He's probably, by what you're saying, got a higher probability of doing well in the European. Yeah. That's spot on. Yeah, that is what happens. So a lot of the time, like, they're the sort of players I'll try and back myself as well. It's when a, yeah. a, an, an American or a player who plays in the PGA and it doesn't actually look like he's pulling up any trees over there, but he'll yeah. drop down in class to a European tour event and he'll actually be undervalued by the, mm. by the market. So he'll be overpriced. This so is one the, of these pods where the, where the questions just come into your head. Like, <laughs> because, you know, I'm sitting here and thinking, you know, just the golf betting industry is so... It's so different, isn't it? Because it, traditionally, the punter is placing bets on a boxing match or a football match or a rugby match or a cricket match. These are two horse races, usually mm. three outcomes, sometimes two. Um, and you're going into fields with 70-plus players week in, week out. And I'm guessing, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but the difference in scoring average from a top 10 in the world player and someone slipping outside the top 100 is like sub one shot, isn't it, or something? It's crazy yeah, small. Yeah, it's not. There's not big, but obviously then magnified over four rounds. That's yeah. where where the yeah, that's where the the better players will you know you know will show their supremacy. So you know, with that in mind, how much of this is in the, in that industry it comes down to you know perception, you know, unconscious bias on part of the punter, because like Tom said there, like I wouldn't, I mean, it's the best shot. I would never look twice at Brendan Todd. If he teed it up in a, you know, in the Saudi event, for instance, you know, a lot yeah. of Americans come over that. I'd never look twice at him. Features week in, week out on the PGA Tour, I think are really consistent, you know, makes cuts, performs well, usually around, you know, kind of making appearances on a Sunday and stuff and, and, and challenging. How much of it's down to, do you think, kind of just, yeah. just unconscious bias? It is, yeah. I think a lot. I think that happens to a lot of punters, customers. It's, it's like they a lot of will just sort of they'll remember the things they want to remember and and forget the things that sort of go against, you know, how they thought something would happen. I mean, that yeah, that psychology of betting is a huge part of you know why why punters behave the way they do. You're right, and that's why having a 
sort of predictive model that can sort of just crunch numbers, take the emotion out of it. Mm. It's so it's so helpful for you know to use with your to, to help you with your prices because yeah, you, it doesn't matter. You you don't want to be attached to any player, and you don't want to be always mm. against a certain player because as soon as you as soon as you think someone can't win, you get stung. Yeah, it's um, yeah. If you can take the emotion out of it, it's like anything, you make better decisions. Well, last week on this podcast, I basically cited the downfall of Rory's career and said he was, you know, he was never going to perform well at the Masters. Um, and I couldn't comprehend why, after the sort of run of form that he's had, that he's still like fifth, well, he was at the time, fifth favorite, 12 to one. Um, what's happening there then? How come Rory McIlroy is seemingly having this, this shocking run of form? Um, class being temporary and all that, but uh, he's still priced really well. You've got? Did you say you've got the official world golf rankings there? What's yeah. what's he down to now? In that is he about twelve? Uh, Eleven. Eleven. So I mean that that's still quite a good indicator of where he sort of sits. And then obviously, I guess what with a with a market like the Masters, you know that he's going to be popular. So. Um, you probably don't need to be quite as big as maybe you ought to be on a player like Rory. But I mean, I don't know. Rory's a, Rory's such a strange one to work out because he's obviously. I, I always I always get the feeling with Rory, he's just not quite as good as people want him to be. It's like yeah. he's almost like he, he's not. He doesn't tell everyone to expect all this from him, but yet he gets all these expectations placed on him. But. Um, no, I mean, obviously, he, he's shown up well in the past. They obviously had that famous year where he, he was in front at the turn and then he, I mean, I think he'd gone odds on to win that year and, and then he ended up in someone's back garden, didn't he? On the <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you're always going to, you're always going to, especially as a, U, you know, as a UK facing firm, you're always going to see money for for the, the popular, for the popular players. So you, you're probably right. He probably shouldn't be a fifth favourite. He probably should be somewhere near his, his world ranking position in the market. But um yeah, you just know that you can you can still take money on him at a at a price yeah. that's probably short of where he ought to be. Well, this this is a uh, this pod's gonna be all over the place because like questions are popping into our minds just left, right, and centre. Yeah. Just um talking about how people will back Rory because they like him. Does does that work the other way for somebody like um Patrick Reed, who everybody hates, do then you ba- do, do you get less bets on him because they don't I like think, him? So you got to adjust the odds for that. Well, uh, I think that's sort of, you're halfway. You know, you've got something there. Like there is players who are unfashionable. Maybe not so much Reed because I think people, as much as they like to dislike him, I think people really just sort of recognise just how good he is now. Yeah. I mean, well, he, you know, people he's, know he's he, good. They just don't like yeah. him, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas there are some players, maybe funk, people with funky swings, things like that. Mm. Um, Daniel Berger, people like that, maybe. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shot. I think he'll go well next week. Um, yeah, just just players who, who, or maybe like not too in the media limelight all the time as well. They'll just keep mm-hmm. themselves to themselves. Um, you can definitely sort of see trends like that where popular players get overbet and slightly unfashionable players with funky swings or w- weird weird actions and and like. Um, just things like that, that, yeah, they, they can be sometimes sort of missed by the market. Yeah. But not Reed. Reed sort of, he's, <laughs> yeah. But he's, not Reed. 
he's, um, he's a massive I, winner. Yeah, yeah he'll be he'll be popular again next week just because of obviously he's played well. He he, he won at Tory, didn't he? Um, when he he's had the, the con- pantomime villain, anyway, yeah. isn't he? Really, and yeah. he, he's in the yeah. limelight. You can see when his name's there, you like you, you look past this guy. Like at your I don't peril. mind him, you know. I know he's. No. I know he's dodged. <laughs> I, I really, I really like watching him just because of how ridiculous he can be. Yeah, he just doesn't care, does he? I think that's the whole no. point with someone like I was, Patrick I was, Reed. Yeah, absolutely no fucks. Funny one. I was actually at the President's Cup on the day four when um when they played down in Australia when his caddy had, like the day yeah. day before that his his caddy had that altercation with a fan. So I yeah, was there the right. next day walking around with my dad, and um he was getting absolutely dogs abuse from the Aussies. It was right. amazing. But he just it just spurs him on. He just gets better. Yeah, he does. He he was like smiling at them. Yeah. It, was, it, it was like it was almost like being at a football game. That was yeah. only after a few days after Sandgate, wasn't it? Out in yes. the Bahamas, the Bahamas, Hero, yeah. Hero World to, Open or whatever it is. So I you, think they, yeah, I think they flew to the President's Cup from there. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And they were all on the plane together, weren't they, and stuff? And yeah, yeah. It's all and then, and then, then J, JT was doing all those like scooping actions in the bunkers in the practice rounds, <laughs> making like <laughs> a joke of it. They got kicked out, didn't they? The guy got kicked out for carrying a shovel around or something like that with it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I see unbelievable stuff. Um, Um, One of the ones that'll be interesting to talk about, I know Sam's keen to talk about uh, this player particularly, is Tony Finau. Yeah. Um, The great divider. Yeah. Is he difficult to to price? You know, how does, because obviously, like, he, he, He's never going to win. Um, so I think that's, that's okay. a punchy statement. He already won, <laughs> and he's one um, of the best players in the world. So let's yeah, just he's, he's, he's he's that the, statement. But he's not he's the one who's good each way, bet, isn't he? He seems to do really divide opinion because obviously players like him show up really well on the models because of how consistent they are around a high level. Mm. So like your model's always going to like him, um, but obviously, yeah. I mean, to this point, to have only won once. It, it does. It does sound ridiculous, but I don't know if he's just one of those. It's just like almost like is it just the most ridiculously unlucky player? Like yeah. is he just one side of the distribution when there's somebody at the other side who's picking up wins that they shouldn't win? Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, when you look at the three, uh, the the three main ones that have got away from him are. So there was Riviera this year when Max Homer yeah. beat him. Yeah. And, and obviously... Homer went lights out as well on the Sunday. He, well, he was, bo- he was bogey-free for the weekend or something like that around yeah. Riviera, which is just unheard of. Yeah. Um, and obviously when when Max drove it behind the tree on the 10th, the first playoff hole, because I was oh. you know I was, I was doing that event in running and, and Tony at that point goes into like 1 to 10. Like because he's yeah. stymied behind the tree, he's 1 to 10. So he's 90% to win a tournament. Mm. at that point and then by the time obviously it turns out that he could get the ball on the green you know and then you know the rest history they half that hole and then he wins the next homer then there was the one the furthest one back was the HSBC uh, when Shoffley beat him in the playoffs and again mm-hmm. I think the final round he shot the fourth lowest score Finn out of the day and got mm. chinned okay. and then the, the one American the- listener that basically he's got knocked out <laughs> Okay, so yeah. snap. Just, just a little bit of linguistic flair there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And the other one was waste management last year when Webb Simpson held two bombs on him to to mm. beat him. He held a, a twenty footer to get in the playoff, and then a ten or fifteen footer in the playoff. So it's like in each of those three, Tony's probably been at least ninety percent of a win in mm. all three of them at one point. It's not so gassing, I mean, is it? It's not. It's not no. just like it doesn't well, that, look like. You know, they're good performances in isolation. Yeah. 
and you can't you really can't control when you can play as well as you like but at the end of the day you can't control what the other players do so there are situations where you can do everything you possibly could to win and you just get beat and there's no choking or bottling about that at all it's just getting beat but obviously that's not how the narrative works is it if someone keeps coming second people think there's a problem with them mm. now I'm not so sure that in 10 years' time, Finn Al might have a completely normal number of wins. It wouldn't shock me, you know, mm. for the whole career. If you look at his whole career in 10 years' time, so and he might have won 15 times, then you're just like, oh, he's won once a year for 15 years. What of it? Mm. <laughs> and he gets so, all 15 in one year. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but but no, nah, it's, and it's obviously, it's very hard to sort of definitively tell what's going on, but it does yeah. feel like he's a very unlucky golfer. There are some times, though, where closing it out is clearly a factor. So whether or not, I mean, we could debate for the entire of this pod and then probably another 10 hours about someone like Tony Fino and and winning. Um, But there are players out there. Yeah, there are players that struggle. David Drysdale. Drysdale. It was a painful one, wasn't it? Where was that? Is that Saudi last year or something? Yeah, he was playoff in Saudi. He lost... uh, but he was, he was in the running in the Kenya Open as well, wasn't he? Recently. Yeah, just last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Drowsdale's are about 537 events. No yeah, that's wins. right. Some of them that's are right. It's, yeah. it's nuts. I'd love to and see would have been in position, you know, would have been oh, in position know, to win some of these things, wouldn't they? So, like, how do you price that in? Like, I mean, I can, I can kind of in my simple brain figure out how OWGR, strokes gain, scoring average, trajectory of form, recent yeah. results how that starts to how a computer might start stitching that together but then yeah. how do you start bright pricing in someone's you know grit under pressure on a sudden yeah day? well that and that's the thing if you start tweaking models too much you can get really out of whack with them because if you're going to put in like a, a closing factor for one player you've got to do it for the whole field yeah. now that can, and then that becomes down to your opinion which then it starts to get uh mm. inconsistent as soon as you start mixing too many numbers with opinions i think you can really mess your model up. So that's why it's, it's, it is quite, you've got to, you still got to use a lot of like nuance with these as well. So like if Drysdale's in the last group on a Sunday and he's three clear, then you're probably, you're probably going to allow a bit for that as well. So you're going to go shorter on these, on these, on the people chasing them than you would normally if it was somebody else in front. So there is, there's, there's loads of things like that. And that's obviously just experience that you've built up over the years, knowing what tendencies certain players have. But closing ability is quite a hard one to model, I think, because you're always dealing with really crap samples as well. Mm. Like there might be a player who's only been in the last group three times in 10 years. Like that's not a big enough sample to gain anything predicted from. Yeah. So you just kind of like, you have to just run it neutral there and just kind yeah, of. You exactly. Know, You'd be looking at the sort of spread across the board yeah. a little bit and not, yeah. you know, not let the client become the client by which I mean the gambling firm become too exposed to one, one player or one, one outcome. Yeah. Mm, I mean, crazy. I mean, other kind of curveballs. What, what are the big curveballs that can kind of come at you, whether it's in running or beforehand? You know, what are the things where it's like, yeah, if that happens, that is an absolute nightmare to start working around. There must be things where you're like, oh, uh, I mean, the, the, tough, the, toughest, the toughest sort of thing when in terms of pricing is probably like, I mean, speed's probably a good one at the minute because you're like, well, in 2021, he's showing form that he's not shown for three or four years, but yet a lot of like your sort of intuition with golfers and that is that you can't just look at someone's six weeks of form and think that that's them. Like there's got to be some 
prior stuff that influences how good you think they are, even for that given week. So you're like, he's clearly not 2017 Jordan, but he's not, it, it looks like he's close to it. Um, mm. So it's, yeah, it's things like that. And obviously it's, it's subsequently come out recently that he had some sort of rib issue or something like that. I was reading that, you know, you could almost, I mean, why he didn't say anything at the time, but whether he's just being like, I don't want to make excuses, which fair play to him if he's done it like that, but. I mean, I think he's leading again tonight in Texas, you know. Mm. So he's 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 clearly right at it. I mean, next week he could even he could even challenge for favoritism if he were to win in Texas. That's how mad it will really? be. Yeah, really? Yeah, so he could go I think top, so. top hole. Wow. I think so. With his with his course history, people are just gonna want to back him at any price. And how does that work with with things like winners back to back? Because you just don't see it. So how how do they get priced? You know, you you, you very very rarely see someone well, win I think, the week after that I th- they win. I think like for any other week, you'd probably yeah, you'd be a bit like, you know, m- the mental letdown is is sort yeah. of maybe important. But when it's a major and it's speed, you just I mean, it's almost like you feel like you kick on from a win and and go there with even more of a sort of. I mean, a lot of it obviously like. A lot like I know Joel Darman won last week, and you'd think that he'd be one who'd be sort of on the piss, wouldn't he, after a win? Like, and, <laughs> and the, ne- the next week would be one to sort of be wanting to oppose him, or or you know, or take you know, take bets on him because what well, you know, he gets his first win, he's like seventy fifth or eightieth start, or something like that. You'd think that he's been chasing that for a long time. You just like you'd want to celebrate. I mean, some players mm. would just would just really let their guard down. I guess the next week, um, and I and I guess you 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 know you model. You might do, but you know, you've got to also start thinking about things like the Kepka factor, haven't you? Where it's like people who just turn up under the right, under the right time, under the spotlight, all of a sudden they arrive. Yeah, he's a very different one. Put him in Valero, he's not going to make the cut. Like, it's all he can do to be asked to walk around 36 holes of golf on Thursday and Friday. Stick him in the mask, and all of a sudden you've got a different breed of golfer on your hands. And I guess you have to kind of legislate for that to a certain extent, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Kepka's a really interesting one. Again, like on his actual consistency and his scoring, you know, he comes out as much bigger price than you want to put him in the market because, again, yeah. he's so popular. With, yeah, he's 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 quite an inconsistent scorer. Like, and he, he does shoot some big numbers that sort of, you know, will weaken his, his sort of, his average quite a lot. But he's one of those who's such a volatile player that, you know, and obviously, like to win four majors, like even though that mm. seems like almost overachieving, it's like you've got to respect it because mm. again, punters just want to be with Brooks Kepp. There's like Morikawa was another. You, you see certain players just get backed every week. Oh, people want to be on Morikawa quite a bit, do they? Yeah, yeah. See, that surprises me. Cameron is that Champs, just, is obviously that in another. The States, or is that is that is that? It seems to be like I think that would be sort of global, like globally. In in golf betting, it's like it's the real sort of it's the it's the real potential players, yeah. And the ones mm. that you, th- you know people think there's way more upside in them still. Mm. Um, well, but, like Cameron Champ, you know, they see him hit the ball 350 yeah. yards and think, well, he's bound to win because he's hitting the ball exactly, yeah. Else. But yeah. it's not necessarily, punters, you know, punters are definitely seduced by sort of golf swings and and power, mm. definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, kid in your. A- yeah, go on. Sorry, Michael. No, no, that Wilco Nine and Bar. Have you heard of him? Oh, recently? yeah, he's, it's it. Yeah, three, yeah, like three, eight, three. I mean, talking plus two hundred ball speed, aren't we? Yeah, he'll be another order. who people, I guess, just take the view that if he, as soon as he straightens it out, he's going to take some stopping because he's mm. just got so much firepower. Mm. I mean, I hate that we're going to go here with it because 
it, it a lot of these roads walk back to distance bryson you know we oh, had no. we've done a few things now hang on we have we've got to, we're talking distance aren't we so we've got to we've got to we've got to shoehorn it in somehow we, we've done a little bit on data in the past we had lou stagner on the pod talking a yeah. lot about strokes gained and stuff and obviously he has a you know really kind of clear edge on, on in terms of you know looking at stats and does some cool work with you know scott Fawcett and the like and he yeah. talks about the advantage that you know i think something yeah, I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but it's like 10 yards extra translates to, you know, quite a significant margin over overall strokes, strokes gained and stuff. Yeah. How on earth do you start, start pricing for something like the Bryson factor? You watch him go into things like Bay Hill. You're looking at him going into things like wing foot. And then you look at him going to things like the Masters in 29, 2020. Sorry about that. Yeah. I just talk about talk about Bryson and how that whole distance thing works. Cause that's, I mean, it's crazy yeah. just for the spectator, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That was a, cause obviously like with, with Bryson, like um, for that masters last year, like obviously in the lead up. So say like Christmas time, he'd have been, I can't remember exactly what price, but he might've been 50 to one in that, in that outright, you know, cause mm. obviously firms offer the majors well in advance. Um, and I think he started eight to one favorite. So mm. in, in sort of those nine months, so basically, in fact, it was probably when, when the first like COVID lockdown was, when obviously he did all the work to his, his body. Mm. But as soon as he came back from that and he showed that what he was doing had some sort of, you know, merit to it. And he was really sort of, like, his price just came absolutely tumbling down. But in terms of factoring in what he does to, to your prices, I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's just one of the, You've got to. I mean, we we saw it straight away. Like what the upside could be with if if he, you know, if what he was trying was going to come off. So I mean, it was one that we always sort of want to be on the right side of. So mm. you would sort of go under the market on on the on the player like him. But um, yeah, and obviously it didn't turn out for him at Augusta. But again, he'll he'll be he'll be popular next week again because it's like it feels like with him, it's like he's just going to swing, isn't he? And if it clicks mm. that week. He goes close to winning, and if he don't, he might miss the cut. But that doesn't really matter because on the weeks that it clicks, he's going to make loads of dough. Too much and gonna, power, isn't it? It's just and he's going to pick up yeah. trophies. And if you can do that for five or ten years, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what, what physically how it will affect him. But I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's enough people out there who think it's has to take its toll. It's very bad, it really, isn't it? It is. It's, it's, it's such an interesting player to watch. Mm. Um. On the other other side of the distance debate that you're going to have to price in is at some point you're going to have to make a decision on how you price Bernard Langer to make the cut. Um, another one that is, is, you know, it's ridiculous. I bet you, how do the models look at him and how do you price him? How does all that work? Well, I mean, Lang, Langer's just, he's one of the, like I was saying earlier, like you have sort of like, with the amount of data that's out there, you, you can sort of you can sort of see what even though Langer's playing mainly Champions Tour, you can sort of see what that equates to in a in a PGA Tour sense as well. So I mean, if you if you put him into a PGA Tour context, he might still be like, I mean, I, he might even still be sort of borderline making it. Maybe not now, but he won't he wouldn't have been he'd have been around borderline making his card still on the PGA Tour. So. It sort of gives you a ballpark with the current of performance. <laughs> yeah. You think you think with a good season and a few putts dropping, that's card made. Yeah, because there's probably still enough courses on the tour, your Harbour Towns and, yeah. and your tight little pokey joints that he can 
he can still probably make enough. I mean, I don't, I know, I noticed his form has slightly tailed off this year, I think. But um, you just sort of I trying to get been following his form that closely. <laughs> that's a, that's a shocking insight to the level of detail you have to track. Well, yeah, and obviously, like you've had Stricker, Fiorik all join the ranks mm. there, so it's straight away it's more difficult. But um, yeah, you with a player like Langer for for next week, and um, you'd just be sort of trying to equate him to someone who's in the field. Um, and then obviously you'd be looking at conditions as well. If it plays firm and fast, he, you know, he, he can. If it plays long and soft, then you sort of mm. you sort of lessening your yeah. your rating yeah. of him. But if if you think it's going to play firm and fast, I mean, he, he's got he's still got it well within his compass to make the cut there. I mean, looking at those events, you talked about ground conditions and stuff, and obviously weather makes a massive impact. What's the hard? I mean, I've got an inkling in my head of what I would think, but it's probably totally wrong. What's the hardest event for you to to get right? I mean, I'm guessing that's an industry level question, not necessarily you personally. It's not like oh, God, I just can't get the head around Harbour Town or whatever. But you know, what's the hardest event at a, at a kind of global stage to to kind of get uh, right on the stuff? Because I mean, across the main tours, the one wouldn't really say. You with with pricing, it usually gets trickier the lower down the spectrum you go, because you know information is just less hmm. um, easily available to you, uh, and people can get an edge on you if they know more about a player than you do. But you think across the main tours now, like there's so much info on all the the top PGA players. Um, in terms of courses, not I don't no, nah, I don't think there's really any standout course that. That um, you would find harder than than another, unless somebody's got, I guess, an edge on you in like they know that the weather's going to change at a certain point in the tournament, mm. and they can sort of see one side of the draws really favoured before you do, mm. things like that. But I mean, again, it's there's still a lot of randomness involved in that as well. So it's this now nah, nothing really sticks out as being a really tough event to price. I would just say more the lower you down you go in terms of the field strength or the class of the tour, the harder it gets. And what about for the punter? Well, I guess for the punter, it probably works sort of um, along the same lines. Whereas if, if you've got a, a sharp punter who sort of, um, you know, he, he can get information on a smaller tour and, and about players that you, nece- you, you don't necessarily know much about then they they can get an edge on you that way i mean across like the main tours again it's like how can a, how can a punter really know that much more than you about a, a high profile player it's it's um you know it's it's hard to see that unless they know that i mean i guess speed might have been a good one here because if if you knew that if you had some injury news or something like that mm. that would be one way of if you knew that a player was injured and you could bet against them in like a matchup or something like that, so you just take one player against them, there's things like that where you can, but again, you, you can't do anything about that. You've just got mm. to, you know, price it as good as you can. But So just, just sort of veering slightly off, off, off track. Um, do you do much of the live, the in-play betting and all that sort yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would imagine that it's, that's hard to, to, to do with models because you just don't have the time to do that. If you think back to when Jordan Spieth has had his collapse in the Masters, yeah, um, like what's happening there? Like, is the control room just going crazy? Yeah. You've got to like odds are going everywhere on everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. how does that work? Yeah, they are chaotic. Those ones when a leader makes it. What do you make a triple? Yeah, yeah. So, 
Oh, yeah, it's it was a quad, I think. It was seven on the past was two, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It was a quad, yeah. Yeah, you're right. They are. That's a really good scenario where there's absolute just chaos because you've not only got to sort of work out what price is should be, you've got to bring in the price of virtually everyone else who's in contention. Yeah. So, I mean, is all that is all that sort of finger in the air stuff or, or the models uh, of what happens I mean, when? No, I mean, a lot of the in-play is not with model. It's just more manual and and sort of, yeah, it's, it's experience and, and sort of, I mean, I basically, you're basically trying to calculate the leaderboard and what a shot's worth to a certain player. And if, if that player's three back, what's his price? If that player's on the same score, but he's better than him, what does that make him? So you're just trying to, you're just trying to work off off things like that, and then obviously you've got to, you can compare with other bookies as well what what they've done. You can compare with the exchange as well, Betfair. Um, I mean, there's there's plenty of references, but you're right for that five minutes, you would see a massive disparity in odds across the firms. And do you do you what's the the, the mechanics behind you getting your information? Because if you get it at the same speed as me, I mean, you're, you're at a serious distance. So are you getting it before me? Um, I mean, not really. No, uh, it, it's very, the the gap between between you know um, we obviously we get like um, pictures in America, but mm. what I've no, I mean, the, the difference in time now is very minimal. So, I mean, a lot of it is it is very close to being the same for both both really? sides of the equation, really. Yeah, and yeah, there's, that's just sort of you know one of the things as a live trader, you've got to be really quick is to sort of yeah yeah well, yeah it's it like the max be. homer thing isn't it riviera like yeah how yeah. can you be like that somewhere somewhere how there's not opportunity I mean, at least, to take a uh, killing at the when the odds go into you know crazy odds on fina and yeah i mean i guess at least with that there's only two players so and, and you're only trying to get two prices right but you're right like in in play there can be some real like because it can only like if you get a if you're looking at the TV and it shows a bad angle or something, so you think someone's lies worse than it is. Things like that mm. can can throw your miles. Like because the you know the quality of a player's lie on the seventy second hole is so important to the overall prices in, in that market at that point. It can be mm. the difference between well, just massive difference. So I've got an example for you there. How do you deal with Justin Thomas's drive down eighteen at the players? So do you remember it? Yeah. The, the well, duck hook. Yeah. So oh, yeah. He, I guess I guess when you see that take off, you probably you would probably like you'd probably want to suspend your outright at that point for a few seconds. Because, mm. you know, otherwise you just you know you're gonna get yourself in too much trouble. Like there's no there's no almost point to do it to being open at that point because if he hits it in the drink. Then your prices are all wrong. And, okay, and miles so you can you so, just literally suspend it there. And well, just I mean, go. obviously, for the user experience, you want that to be as minimal as possible. But like for a for a for a huge volatile <laughs> moment like that, yeah. So basically, yeah. can we just clarify? When you're on a live betting and it says odds suspended, that means someone is shitting themselves somewhere, just going fuck, <laughs> yeah. fuck, fuck. What's about? What's yeah. what I'm doing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I, that must be so tense, though, sitting there with yeah. like. Especially if I mean, you're just like, imagining well, these books have got zeros pouring out of the sides, haven't they? <laughs> you can and, do, you've yeah. got, and you've got in play with, I mean, and let's face it, the PGA Tour loves a, a, a kind of dog leg over water. Yeah. 
450 plus finishing hole or everywhere four or yeah. five it doesn't matter so the the it's it's success and failure it's like yeah right on a tightrope every time that's it that's it and <sighs> obviously if you've 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 worked hard on that on that on your book for four days you know you want to see it through to the end with like just really good decision making mm. so yeah it is it, it can it can be you can get some big swings obviously in for or against you at, at that point in an event yeah can you think uh, of any tangible times where something has happened in a in a golf tournament that has suddenly caused a huge influx of betting? Do you mean so? Do you mean like a leader blowing up or something like a bit like Spieth? What happened to Spieth? Yeah, maybe something like a bit like Spieth when he's blown up, and then suddenly in play, you just got this phenomenal amount of betting action just happening at once. Do you, do you, first of all, are you even party to, to, to the what's happening? Mills just wants as much gore as you can pour out here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, it's just, I'm just interested to know, you know, what events trigger people to, to bet, you know, live. I think you're right with the, like, the volatility of the hole. So if you've got like a carry over a hazard or, I mean, I guess, I guess the ideal scenario is like um, when you've got, four or five players still in with a chance really late on in the event. And then you've got like a super difficult golf hole and, and the leader does the person who's in front or the shortest price does something really bad. Mm. Then at that point, but he does something bad, but he's, he's still in contention, even though he's done something bad, but then all the other players prices have to come in so much as well yeah. in that, in that split second. Um, I can't tangent. I mean, I can remember another thing like Spieth was like, do you remember when Kyle Stanley spun it back into the water at Tory Pines? He was three clear going up the last in the, no, um, we're going back a long time now, say 10 years, but he was three clear against Snedeker, I think. And he, he was just wedging it into a par five and it hit the upslope, spun back into the water. And at that point he's one to a hundred to win the tournament. Cause he only really? needs to make seven to win. He makes eight and loses in a playoff. Wow. Yeah. So that, when that happens, when that spins into the water, are people then just piling into the the long play into Seneca? Well, they would be trying to, but if you were watching carefully enough, then you would be straight away. You would be seeing the situation develop and moving your price accordingly, so that you're then at the correct price. I mean, he was still a massive favourite then because then he had to. He was still a big favourite then because he's obviously drop zone, but he knocked it on the green and then three put it. I think something like that. So it was just. It, I remember doing that. It was absolute carnage. <laughs> and then obviously you've had like remember when I mean Garrigus had that horrible melt in um, um, Memphis. He had a three shot lead on like Westwood and Carlson, and he hit it in the drink. And then I think Westwood beat Carlson in the playoff. And then obviously do you remember the Kaima one when he was ten clear in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> no. He was he was ten ten shots clear in Abu Dhabi in about two thousand and thirteen. I want to say, and he just. That wasn't a sudden one. That was like a slow bleed. He just gradually tossed shots away all the way Bit up the back sort of an Adam Scott one, was it? Yeah, was Gary Stanton. wasn't it? Same, same Gary, sort of one, stomach shot to the wound, you know. This like unknown French guy, Gary Stahl, won at about 500 to one. He's not been seen since. <laughs> <laughs> that was I mean, unreal. You've got your Van der Vels as well, haven't you? No, course, and that, like, that's, that's, and- that's like, That'd be just as I was getting into the game. So, I mean, obviously I didn't know anything like in the betting context, but I remember I remember sitting there with my dad to watch that and it was just utter disbelief, wasn't it? It was just so so horrible to see. Yeah, it was a, it was a complete mind. 
explosion. Oh, God. There's so many things that, like, obviously, this. I think it was the second shot just had to miss the stand or go into the stand, and it would have been the free drop. But it hit the pillar of the stand and then went into a horrible light. It's just, like, really fine margins. It's just mm. one that makes you sick watching it for the blow. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, it's still one of the – I mean, it's, one of the great sporting moments, but I mean, pain, painful for him. The um, it'd be a shame not to get you on the pod and not not get your take on the Masters. We're going into Masters week. We've, we've talked around a few players. Don't know whether we can maybe get a few people where you think going into the week forms looking good. Yeah, I mean, I, I really couldn't put anyone on Finau. I really, I really think Tony Finau's. You know, he's so. Really, he's so he's yeah, he's so likely to give a good account of himself, and he's going to be about. So you strip the emotion away, and it's like you look at the numbers. Finau stands off the page. Well, what you got to think of is, come Monday, all the firms are going to be offering all the extra each way places as well. So you're going to get the best offer Mm. on on Monday, and you might get twenty eight, thirty two on something like that on Finau, and with eight or nine each way places. I mean, I don't. I think that would be cracking. I think. I mean, another one who's sort of a almost like in the similar mould, but he's playing brilliant, is, is Casey. Mm-hmm. He played so well at Sawgrass. Just to, He had, what, and he put it in the drink twice on 17 on the first day. And, you know, he only ended up getting beat by probably the amount of shots that he lost on that hole. So it's, yeah. yeah. And Harding Park, I mean, he looked brilliant, didn't he, around Casey was so good around there. Again, you know, it's kind of one of those Fino moments where, you know, Morikas, you know, jams it in from about 300 to about two foot and makes an eagle yeah, exactly. and, 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 and walks it in at a canter. But but really, Casey was was riding hard to win that, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, and obviously, again, these two, them two players, are, like most people would just like, they can't win. But again, they, them sort of players become interesting if if they get too big in price. Like, And again, yeah. with Casey, you're going to get 40 or 50 to one. With- yeah, Tony, Tony's currently sitting on about 30. Yeah, Casey, I can't even find Casey, 40, roughly. Yeah. So. And I don't know what price, what price is, like Corey Connors is a sort of a bit more of an under yeah. the radar one, mm. I guess. He, Here we go. This is his book. It's another one. It's like brand 80. value, isn't it? 80, 80. there you go. I mean, that's not, like Monday, you might, you know, if you get 10 spots, 10 each way places on someone like Corey Connors, um, he's another one who's sort of quiet, quietly being sort of, Billy Horshaw sitting, sitting at 70. Who? Yeah. Billy, Billy Hope. Billy Horshaw. Yeah. I guess it's how much you think that that match play feeds into like his stroke play. You know what I mean? I, 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 I sort of, I mean, whilst he's obviously clearly he went with about 75, didn't he, on Sunday night when yeah, they exactly. finished the game. <laughs> whilst you know he's in form, I don't know whether that, I sort of try and, I sort of treat match play a little differently. Just because, just I mean, it's just a, a completely different format, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't. On Monday, if you if you bet the top prize with the most amount of each way places, I couldn't put you off anyone. Basically, I mean, th- there's such good value in the in the place part of the each way, you know, because of firms are just because trying to entice you. The size, of it yeah, and that's they're like trying to entice marketing. you. Marketing. I mean, you think there's only 90 players, 95 players. So in a normal week, there's 155, so 156. So. Yeah, betting each way next week is usually very sort of enticing. 
Well, we're world-renowned for, for picking players that can't even make a cut. So. We're not even world-renowned, Tom, <laughs> so just it's, steady on with that there. But it's, so. We always pick players that we think are going to win, and they never even make the cut. So I don't think we Yeah, we had a shocker the other week, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about the PGA stuff so far and, and some of the top players. Your, your job means you've got to cover literally every aspect of the, of the tours. I'm guessing you've got sight of some pretty hot up and comers. You know, I don't know whether, you know, where's the next Morikawa's, the next Matthew Wolves, you know, the next um, of the show the sort of where where's that crop coming from? Because I guess I, you have to keep tabs on things like NCAA rankings yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't think there's any absolute world beater amateurs coming through. I do think that uh, Fitzpatrick's brother's likely to be a very good player, Alex. Do you? Yeah, right. I think he's just got named in the World Cup. He team. did, yeah, he just got. Yeah, named. I think he's. I think he's likely to be really good. So he'd probably be Europe, Europe's best. Um, and I think America-wise, there's a, the the world number one at the minute is I think it's Davis Thompson, and he's a he's from Georgia, and they've obviously got a real good history of producing quality players. Like if you mm. just if you look at a standard PGA Tour event, you've usually got ten. Who've played? Who went to Georgia, Georgia Tech, like, isn't it, or whatever? No, d- this it. one's the uh, University of Georgia Bulldogs. Okay, so cool. like your, your Kisners, Harris English, Russell Henley, Brian Harmon, Bubba Watson. Yeah. It's just you it's know a production a, line of quality, and he's he's the number one ranked player in the world at the minute, and he's looked he's looked all right. He's looked good in a couple of events that he's played in the in the on the main tour as well in the last few years. Crazy the detail, but in terms of actually, I feel like in, I feel like I can step out of cookie jar and just just let Michael yeah. just step in and <laughs> take in, some due course. In terms of like um, up and coming like PGA tour players, I mean this is probably not really, a, but I think that Wacky Nyman mm. is going to be really top notch. Um, what makes you then, say that then? So what, like you know, just on that. So he's he's a bit like what you said earlier. It's just like he's tr- he's scoring trend. He's sort of gradually going to where you'd, you know, if you like looked at, say, his career path compared to some other quality players of the past, which he can do on, on data golf, you know, he would match up really good with some of the, the other, you know, like all the famers almost. But So you're looking at um, sort of age, scoring average, the yeah, a rate little bit of, at which it's growing, yeah, how many graphs, I'm, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean... Not for any group. That's more for like my own. Like every now and then, just to see sort of where someone's stacking up. Who I think, you know, he's probably like. He's, I mean, it's not like he's unknown, but maybe he's he's even ahead of the curve of what people think he is. Mm. Um, and then maybe players like you might not have heard, like Taylor Gooch is a is a yeah, good yeah. strong player who, who's like he's not he's not really hit the big time yet, but he's he's quietly doing things that are just show that he's improving at a nice rate. And well, he can probably go on to have a good career. Another one, like, I, I reckon if I said to you, Sam, what was the world ranking of Will Zalatoris? Mm, it'd be, be about, like, about 45th, 50th, yeah, something like that. Exactly, 45. See, like, yeah. I've got it in front of me. But uh, yeah, he's, he's top notch. Very player, good, isn't like, he? Yeah, he's a yeah. very good player. But it's, it's again, it's brand value. That's the whole thing with this is brand value and names. And it's like, you know, people have like, I mean, I would even hazard a guess. I know you say about the funky swings putting people off, but someone like Matthew Wolf, with all the hype around that crazy sort of move on the on the takeaway, yeah. has given him a level of stardom that probably his results don't quite warrant. You know, I'd agree on with paper, that. Yeah. 
Morikawa is a better golfer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all of a sudden, the and the, that's why the, the gambling market doesn't survive on educated punters with 100% knowledge of the market making very well-informed decisions. It's based yeah. on humans who are open to bias, who are exactly. based on emotion. I'm exactly. putting money into Bob Mack because I really want to see the guy win. I'm putting yeah. money into, into Casey because I really want to see Casey win a major. I'm not betting on him because empirical evidence is telling me he's the person who's going to win. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not surprised by that. But you, you, it shows you how quickly you discount him, though, equally. So whilst I'd like, yeah, he's a good player, but I'd never pick him. because would be like, oh, that's Will's Alasaurus. I'm not sure I want to see yeah. him win this week. Yeah, he's, his numbers are really good for like the last two years. I mean, he's got a funny old putting style, but um, like I mean, I think he's been on the long the long putter for many years. It always seems strange when a you know a young player comes out who's already on the, the a, a mm. funky put putting method. But again, that's again that's probably one of my biases taking over. You know, it doesn't mean anything if he's if he's getting the job done and he's he's mm. you know he's he's scoring well. Tita Green, he's he's brilliant. Zalatoris. Can I ask if you covered the Masters in 2019? Did I? Yeah. Um, I must have done, yeah. <laughs> so what was that like then? I mean, I don't know who's doing that in play with Tiger. And obviously that's just such a... I mean, like, could, you, could, that, well, like, have been, could that have been predicted easily, that outcome? Well, it showed, it showed a little bit, hadn't he? Um, I forget what it was. I don't think he went off a crazy price, but... Again, that's another one. What we're saying is like suddenly Molinari put it in the water. Well, it was the 12th, wasn't it? Mm. Didn't two mm. of them do it? Kepka mm. went Kepka. in, Fina went in, and Molinari, I think, didn't it? Right, yeah. And that's what happened. That was when the... Because obviously, like, you knew Woods was there, but then it's sort of like when that happened, you were just like looking at each other thinking, oh, my God, it's on this, isn't it? And then... Because you must have thought money's pouring in there, and all of a sudden, like, evidence showed he was going to win. And... Obviously, everyone wants to see Tiger go and win at the moment. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, was probably, it was probably one of those times when if a player goes too short, then you actually sort of avoid taking too many bets on them because mm. they're just like, for most like recreational punters, they still want, a, you know... The, a good return. The, yeah, the feeling of... So if a player can actually be too short, in even though it's the right price, it just it's too short so they don't feel like they're getting enough for their... For their experience, so, so you can. I don't. I don't really think that. I don't think that was a terrible result. That one. I mean, yeah. not in running anyway. I mean, he, we, he would have been well back pre-tournament for sure. Mm. He's another player who just whatever price you put up, he gets back. Yeah. Well, he because uh, obviously he'd had like a second place at the Open that year. I think he had. That's right. Second place at the PGA. But he was all under the radar second places. He was never really like yeah. leading or anything, was he? Like, yeah, he was that's right. In the open by like, I think around the turn for one one hole or something. Yeah. But he kind of just was, he was, I bet your models were looking at him thinking, yeah, he's trending, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was like a bit similar to like Spieth now. Like he was like, you could see he was, you could see he was on the, on the way back, but you probably didn't want to make him as short as everyone else did, but. Like I saying with, with players like that, you don't, you know, you can just, you can sort of, you can tuck in along with all the other firms because you're going to see money for them regardless mm. of what price you put. They're that mm. popular. I mean, just a, a funny one, like Tiger at his prime was going off five to four for majors. Yeah. In a 156-man field, he was going off <laughs> at, his, at his shortest price. 
I mean, that's the price of a football team, like to win a home game, is it? You know, quick percentage like, on that is what forty percent likelihood of winning or something. Five to four. A little bit more, yeah, about 45 percent. He was. <laughs> that's how. That's the theoretical chance he had in some of those two thousand early two thousand majors, yeah, against one hundred and fifty five rivals over four days. You think of the that- random stuff that can go wrong. Mm. And he was that yeah. price. And I mean, he's won 14. He played in a lot more. I mean, 40, oh, it was 43%. Warranted. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, was, it was warranted sure he was. at that time. He was winning them for fun, wasn't he? Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that, I, I can't remember anyone coming. I think Rory went off four to one for, or five to one for when he won at Valhalla. But that'd be the next shortest I remember. Yeah. And I remember shortly after that, I was going down and placing like grand slam bets for the following year and stuff on yeah. Rory. That was when he was in a, <laughs> a spell where people thought, yeah, he like, was. We've, now, we've now got the next tiger on our hands here. This guy's yeah. just going to lap the field for the next 10 years. But yeah. And that's four to one. And then you think tiger's going off at five. So that's 20%. Five like to it. four. And he was double pounds on, more five that. Pound. Bloody hell. Um, how much? Uh, we're, I'm conscious of your time, so um, we've kept you for, for for way longer than than we thought we were going to. But this has been extremely interesting. But how much um, of kind of looking at your neighbours goes on, and you know, looking at what are they what are they pricing them, what are they pricing them? Okay, well, I want to I want to get the the punters' money, so we're going to go you know be a little bit more generous, but I can't go too much. How much of that you know goes on? Between yeah, the- that. Yeah, that that's certainly that's certainly something that goes on. Like like we've said in this is like, you know, if if you want to see money on a player and every other firm's thirty three to one, then you don't need to go sixty six to one because you're just going to take, you know, you 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 can see money for that player at, at forty to one. Mm. So you just you just you don't you don't you don't need to take those unnecessary risks where you, you're taking mm. you know extra money at prices that you're gonna you're gonna take the money on 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 the forties anyway. So. Yeah, I mean that that happens a lot. To be fair, um, and then and then obviously, if you really fancy a player and everyone's twenty five to one, then you can go twenties or uh, seven to, sixteen to one or something like that, and you, and you're usually not going to see any any real action on that player because yeah. all the action will be with all the other firms, so you'll avoid uh, it. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you can you, that, that's basically how you sort of try and position your book is that you just you're trying to get players on side or or you're trying to like sort of almost be with that player, i.e. not take any money on them. So you're mm. either trying to take them on or be with them. That's how okay. Tiger ends up in the five to four space because it's almost bubble-esque in so much yeah. as no book he wants to be holding the baby with, you know, a heavy market share on Woods when he goes and romps in another victory, do they? So they all just yeah. keep repeatedly tucking in behind the other other bookmaking firms yeah. so that they're, it just gets all battered down to five to four and it's all kind of beaten away. Um, yeah. So kind of also flipping it the other way then, Michael, you know, events that are, you know, crazy. Like, do you see, where do you see like, you know, kind of random winners popping up and all sorts of wacky stuff happening? Yeah. So the one event that springs to mind straight away is um, the the Pro-Am at Pebble Beach, which is usually early February. Um, I think the last five, six years, there's been like, I think it was Nick Nick Taylor won two years ago at like three hundred to one. Um, Ted Potter Jr. was five hundred to one, and then a couple of years before him it was like Vaughn Taylor was, I think three hundred to one. Now it's one of them where like 
I, I, I don't really, a lot of people would read a lot into that and think that that's who you need to be looking at in the betting. Like I, oh, I need to pick a big price for this. But I think with things like that, I think a lot of it is just complete randomness and that there's probably no real predictive uh, value no in something like that. It's just nah. a fluke of trends yes. and it's just and circumstantial. That's just a, a five-year sort of capture of that. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it's like a, yeah, there's no real signal to that. Well, you would have had people put money on those. Uh, I know that sounds uh, like a ridiculous statement, but did many people go in um, for like 300 to one? And like, yeah, they're I not, mean, you still house, it's you know, household mom. name. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The, the player's family. Um, no, that, that I mean, that sort of stuff definitely happens. Like, yeah, players, players, families. Um, I guess it depends how big big the bookie is. But yeah, I mean, I mean, in most events, you will take a bet on every player in the field. Um, it could be, you know, it could be pennies or it could be a decent a decent chunk. But you usually will have laid every player. But obviously, you won't tend to lay players at at those sort of prices for much. And mm. they'll usually be, you know, a good a good result for the bookie when yeah. a five hundred to one chance wins. Because yeah, I mean it's it's very unlikely that that they get picked out. But they, I mean it yeah. does happen. And and the likelihood is they probably put a fiver on all of the three hundred to ones or, you know, not yeah. just they haven't just randomly selected one and said, right, you'll do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. How, how do you how do you price up on match play? So we talked match play earlier. Had Ryder Cup this year, yeah. volatile, seems to be prone to like, I mean, it's just, it's on the day stuff. Is that just lick your finger and stick it in the air stuff? Or um, how I mean, can you legislate for some of the things like, you know, Medina, the comeback there? I mean, like singles matches are quite easy to price because, really like I mean you can you can sort of you can try and factor in that you think someone's a really good match player i.e. Polter but I mean you can't you can't he doesn't he doesn't change as much as people would have you believe he's still Ian Polter's golf game against (laughs) Matt Kuchar's golf game on a given day so the the discrepancy between the two players actually Kuchar's probably not a good example because he's he's going to be nowhere near it but um, like Polter v Justin Thomas, like on a, on an eighteen hole stroke play event, Justin Thomas is probably over a shot better than Polter over eighteen holes. Now, in a in a match play, you might narrow the gap slightly, but I think if anything, firms tend to they'll narrow it too much, and them sort of situations, I'd usually want to be betting Thomas because people will get fall into the the Polter narrative. But obviously, I mean, who knows whether it's real or not? He he, de- he just tend to come alive in the Ryder Cup. But, I mean, how do you put a number on what he does? Is it is it all quite random? Is it? I don't know. It's 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 a funny thing trying to equate what actually Polter does in the Ryder Cup. <laughs> and it, it's one of those things, isn't it? We're like statistics and psychology when they when they collide like this. Like Polter could have a really good Ryder Cup in Medina and be the postman, and he is mm. all. And he could, for the next twenty match play events, play shit. But you will Correct. always remember him as that outstanding. Exactly, match exactly. It just sticks there, doesn't it? Which yeah, it is. Because the commentary teams are bagging Bryson for being not a particularly good match play player um, last week at the at the Dell event, and I was like, yeah. he's won a U.S. amateur. 
Exactly. Mm. And that's and essentially like, the hardest match play event on the planet. What really. you find with what you find with Sky especially is they just respond to the mo- the most weak samples of anything. So they'll just <laughs> they'll turn they'll turn something with very with no signal and then they'll make a big deal out of it. And it's you just mm. I mean of course they've got to fill time and they've got to but you do you do sometimes wonder it's like why not just like take this to another level and, and speak about things a little bit more you know, yeah. a bit more like statistical actual value. Well, they've got yeah. Justin Rayner, haven't they, doing a little bit of the insight work I've seen. For I mean, Sky. he's very. You good. can tell that when they talk about the everyone's favourite Aon risk reward hole, and they will. Yeah, you know, yeah. And Doherty, to be fair, and it, I actually think it does help the broadcast because all of a sudden yeah. they just vomit statistics over the coverage. Yeah, and I like yeah. that. And a lot of golfers who are dialed in on this stuff are like, "Oh, that is actually quite interesting." It's more hybrid. They're, they're, they're delivering a bit more value in. So you can see that Justin Ray starting to have, I think, a, an, an impact on the Sky coverage because it's giving him more. Just yeah, a bit more Justin Ray like When you've got Rob Lee giving you a take that says, you know, I just really fancy Ram to destroy this back nine. And I'm like, <laughs> where the hell has that come out yeah, from? He's, he's like, that's just on the back nine. flat out armchair conjecture here. Well, whoever's, on the, whoever's on the screen, if the hole are put, it's like, He's always been a good putter. And if he misses a putt, it's like putting is the weakest part of his game. Exactly. It's like, they don't have a clue. The play. It's just, I know. But I mean, it's, I went it on must be such a hard job. I went on a particular rampage. I think it was around the Phoenix Waste Management where uh, I was just like sat in front of the TV with like the PGA stats in front of me. And they're like, that yeah. is a 16th of the Phoenix. And they're like, John Rahm, one, one of the best players in the world from this distance. Well, let's look that up. He's 134th in the world from 127 yards. Yeah, okay, well, he's, you know, yeah, exactly. he's one of the best players in the world, um, but he's one of the worst on PGA Tour from <laughs> 127 yards. Yeah. Rant over, sorry. Um, <laughs> thinking about bringing this to a conclusion, you, your enthusiast that listens to the Cookie Jar Golf podcast who wants to dig deeper on numbers and stats free resources out there and stuff where you can get some of this kind of insight. We keep talking about strokes gained and, mm. you know, obviously things well, like I mean, WGR is well publicized, but are there good resources out there where you can actually start getting hold of quite, quite the PGA good, so, The PGA Tour site's good. Mm. Yeah. For, um, yeah the, and then obviously I've mentioned Data Golf's very good. Um, I think they, they do give a lot of stuff away. For, they do have a subscription thing as well if you want to go even further, but. They put they make some really nice articles and and you know I think they actually have a thing where they release it every now and again called Inside the Numbers, which is actually a really good thing to read. Um, you know, you learn plenty of stuff off them. Um, but yeah, I mean the the main the main PGA Tour sites are really really good for your strokes gain stuff. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. That's been. Uh... I mean, it's just like a million questions still unanswered, but I just I know. know I can't I can't spend four hours. This isn't, <laughs> you know, this isn't Spanish Inquisition, but it is really interesting to to kind of get a peek behind how all this stuff happens. And, you know, I think to your point, Tom, the way statistics and psychology kind of collide in gambling, it's a um yeah, it's a fascinating topic, really. So um yeah, it's a huge thank you for for joining the pod, Michael. And uh no you know, wish you wish you all the best for, for the Masters Way. Let's hope you've got it right. <laughs> Yeah, fingers crossed. Cheers, lads. This 